Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, we continue our sermon series on the bonds of life. This week, we look at the marriage bond. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. It seems pretty simple. It's almost elegant in its straightforwardness. You shall not commit adultery. It's not something we preach on much, though. Because if you preach on it too much, you're going to get people quitting your church because, well, we live in a hyper-sexualized society, and this sort of seems to be outdated to the rest of the world. The last 50 years, some strange things have been happening with our approach to marriage. On the one hand, couples that wish to be married are required to attend counseling. And we do that so that we can look at their motives and their fitness for marriage may be probed, I do training with all of our young married folk. We do training classes on communication and finances and conflict resolution, goals and visioning. Yet in these very same years, our public teaching on marriage has been virtually non-existent. It's weird. We have great private discussion and counsel, and then publicly, we don't really say that much. In private discussion, we help the couples who are desiring marriage to to probe their own understandings, to explore their own meanings of what they think marriage is, and then we correct those as, as best we can. The goal therein is that we might have successful marriages, because marriage isn't easy. We want to make sure that they know that there are tools. We are not going to leave you out there all by yourself. There are tools. If you start having problems, come back and see me, and we'll go back through the conflict resolution or the communication or the visioning or whatever it is. In public teaching, the Christian church is usually like, don't have sex with anybody unless you're married to somebody. And only have sex with the person you're married to, by the way. And most of you say, amen. And some of you roll your eyes, and some of you just start to study your 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 shoes for a bit until I get done with it, and then you can go on about your regular life. Today, I hope to be a bit more responsible. The marriage bond is not yours to do with as you please. A lot of people believe that. They believe that the marriage is is none of the church's business. And there are plenty of churches that are more than happy to acquiesce. I think that's sometimes that's the big draw for some of the mega churches is that anonymity of your life that you can kind of do whatever you want to do within your own life and you can go to church and you can hear it and you're like, oh, that's great. And then just go on and do whatever it is that you want to do. I mean, you think about it, Seacoast, the largest mega church in this area, has 14,000 members. They have 13 locations. Pastor Josh has no time for your shenanigans. He just doesn't. Over the last five years, people have started to even refuse the premarital counseling. Not members, by the way. The members are, you're like, all right, whatever. But non-members, non-members will call and they'll go, hey, do you do weddings? And I'll go, yes. And then I'll give them the number and then I'll tell them that does come with required premarital counseling and they say, thank you. I'd say click, but cell phones don't click anymore. And I never hear back from them. And I don't know if it's the number, and the number can't be. The number can't be because our our, our number's not really that big. Not compared to if you're going to go rent like a a, a hall someplace. 
It's the counseling. They do not want to be counseled. They do not want their understandings of marriage to be questioned. Therefore, at some future date, if they decide to end their marriage, then it's no concern of anybody's. It's certainly no concern of mine. It's certainly no concern of the pastor. It's a private matter. We think of marriage as a private matter. I've literally had members tell me that before, that this is none of your business, pastor. Keep your nose out of it. It's like moving or getting a dog or changing jobs or having a child, for that matter. The seventh stanza from Luther's commandment song, which I should have used as a theme hymn. I just failed and I didn't think about it. I don't know why I didn't think about it. Should have been a shoe and should have been easy. But it reads, be faithful to your marriage vow. No lust or impure thought allow. Keep all your conduct free from sin by self-controlled, disciplined. Lord, have mercy. The hymn outlines the standards to which we ought to be holding each other accountable. It enumerates the virtues of faithfulness and discipline. The sixth commandment exists to remind us about the marriage bond and what it is, and far too important to be a private concern of just two individuals. Why? Because without self-control, injustice runs wild in human life, making it impossible to accurately predict outcomes for tomorrow. If we can't depend upon virtues of today, we have no idea what, what tomorrow's going to hold. And without such control, selfishness becomes the driving factor. It becomes distinctive. And it whittles down at society. You know what the number one sex crime in America is right now? Slavery. Slavery. Men and women and children are trafficked all over the world for the purpose of prostitution. Prostitution is not a victimless crime. Prostitution is the driver of the modern slave trade. There are more slaves in Charleston now than than there were during the time of the Civil War. I tell people that all the time. They don't believe me. They're like, oh, that that can't possibly be true. First of all, it's a little bit of a misnomer because remember, during the Civil War, most of the slaves would have been on plantations, not in the city of Charleston. But there are more slaves in Charleston now, and most of them are being used in the sex trade. Sexual desires are no better or worse than other desires. But they're not equal and the subject of distortion. You see, some immoral acts are simply worse than others. My unsated desire for chocolate and beer does not lead to abductions, and it does not lead to murder, and it does not lead to human trafficking. It does not lead to the abandonment of mothers. It does not lead to hungry children. Well, if they don't get their share of chocolate, maybe, but truthfully, my children will be fine. It doesn't lead to fatherlessness. We need self-control. As a society, we need temperance. We need discipline. And in the marriage bond, selfishness is overcome. We cannot, in a marriage, think about only ourselves. We have to look to our commitments that we've made to everybody else around us. Unchastity, a quaint old word that we hardly ever hear anymore, is rooted in and selfishness, and it leads to injustice. People get hurt 
when we stop obeying our promises. They get hurt when confidences are betrayed and expectations are disappointed and finances are destroyed. The commandment exists to issue us a warning to point to, point to the fact that sexual impulses must be controlled lest the private vice of selfishness becomes a public sin of injustice. Women abandoned, children stripped of one or, or even both of their parents. I probably don't say this nearly as much as I, I ought to because I know for some of you it's kind of painful. But children have the right to their parents. They do. It's a human right, much more than any other human right I can think of that nobody else ever, ever really talk, wants to talk about. Children have the right to their parents. They have the right to their mother. They have the right to their father. They have the right to both of them at the same time. Not one parent one weekend and one parent the other weekend. I'm not talking about fair custody agreements. I'm telling you that children have the right to their father and their mother, and they have the right to that father and that mother every day. They have the right to both parents every day, every weekend, every holiday, every game, every concert. Not a little here and a little there. The marriage bond is difficult enough. It's hard enough to blend families of origin without mom and her new boyfriend and his dad and his third wife and her dad and the stepmoms and the other stepmom and the bonus mom and the mom who spends every other Christmas with her sister because she doesn't have access to any of her children every other... I mean, it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute fiasco. There's no such thing as a bonus mom. It's putting lipstick on a pig, and I don't want to come too down on you too hard. I know some of your lives and families have already been broken. They've already been fractured. There's nothing you can do about that. It's already a done deal, and I know it's hard, and I know. I know you're doing the best you can. But don't, don't be afraid to tell those stories either. Don't be afraid to admit the heartache and the pain and the fear and the loss and the grief and tell people that, you know, that might have been a mistake. I know at the time it sounded like a really good idea, but apparently it wasn't. It makes for a wonderful cautionary tale for the rest of us. Let us learn from your mistakes. Admit them as mistakes and receive the forgiveness of God. A couple of years ago, I had a friend of mine say to another friend of mine, by the way, they weren't talking to me, just to be sure, I had one friend say to the other friend of mine, and I cleaned this up quite a bit. He said, you think your wife's a shrew now? That was the part that I cleaned up. <laughs> you think your wife's a shrew now? Go ahead and slap that tag of ex-wife onto her and see if that doesn't improve her demeanor. <laughs> it didn't. All of this, however, captures the negative reasons for protecting the marriage bond. In the small catechism, Luther explains the sixth commandment positively. We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we do and say, and that husband and wife love and honor each other. Last week, we looked at the family bond as the one through which God works in us to train us to be decent human beings, shaping our pattern and the love of the love from the son to the father and the father to the son and how that pattern is then mimicked in our family. 
of teaching children to receive love from their parent without resentment, while children are also Christ-like in their obedience and faithfulness and growing in excellence. The sixth commandment is an extension of that work, of growing human beings. I'm convinced that America's marriage problem is an inherited generational failure. Our marriages are falling apart because we probably weren't that great parents. You could, you could track that all the way back to Tom Brokaw's greatest generation. And the greatest generation was really wonderful. I got to tell you, they did some great things. They built a nation. They fought the Nazis. They dropped the Japanese. They did all of this stuff. But they also weren't the greatest parents. They tended to say, sit down, shut up, do as I say. A lot of problems come from listening to your children. Other commandments of the second table of the law teach us how to treat our neighbors, but the family bond and the marriage bond concern itself with our nearest neighbors, with how do you be a good parent, a good child, a good spouse. If we can love those that live with us, quite frankly, will put up with more of us than anybody else will. We can learn to be faith-filled there, then maybe we can take that faithfulness out into the world to neighbors and friends and distant family. In this near neighborhood of house and home, God is still at work in us, seeking to make us the people that we're not quite yet who we are, showing us what it means to love, to sacrifice, In the Bible, the marital image is used as a picture of God and his relation to his people Israel. The church is called to be God's covenantal partner. Yahweh is the bridegroom, the lover, the husband of the people, and the husband is never unfaithful in his promises. He never forgets his covenants. In the New Testament church, the bride of Christ, and Christ is always the faithful lover. And faithfulness of Christ unto his church, this faithfulness even unto death, that the bridegroom would rather die than to abandon his bride. It becomes the standard by which faithfulness of a husband and a wife is measured. It's a pattern, much like parenthood. Our love ought to be reenacting this pattern. You shall not commit adultery. This is a command. It doesn't say, well, we'll sex this and don't sex that. It It is a spiritual gift. It informs our worship, not only of prohibiting evil, but also pointing to the good. You shall not be like those unfaithful Israelites who went whoring after other gods. You shall not be like the Moabites who abused their daughters. You shall not be like those prostitute-loving Romans. You shall not be like those abusive Arabs. Do not be like the bikers. Do not be like the celebrities. Don't be like the ballers. Don't be like the players. You be like Christ. You be like Jesus. You be like the faithful father of the Old Testament who never defects from his promises, who who never lies, who never deceives, who gives everything that he has for her. When we give of ourselves sexually, we give over everything. It's, It's not just a passing pleasure 
It's not just a moment in life, but it's ourselves that we give. And therefore, sexual commitment is not to be separated from the sharing of an entire life. You cannot give of yourselves fully to somebody if you're going to hold back the future from that somebody. Your futures must be combined in order for, it, in order for you to really give of yourself. To see the positive, the good, or the faithfulness, to see this command directed at all of us, the married and the unmarried, the young and the old, we're all called to be faithful. We're all called to this faithfulness of life. And if you're young, don't have a lot of young ones in this service today, but we will at the third service. If you're young and wanting to know what it is that you can do to prepare yourself for marriage, pay less attention to society, pay less attention to the TV, pay less attention to the books, and sometimes pay less attention to your parents' marriage. Instead, practice making promises and then keeping those promises. Learn to, be, learn to be faithful in little things, right? Learn how to keep your word. Learn how to be polite. Learn a life of service, right? Clean off the table without being told. Separate the whites. Open a door. Be communicative. Be respectful. Share your feelings. Explain your hardships and your frustrations Lean upon your siblings. Explain your problems unto your parents and your friends and let them explain their hardships and their problems unto you. And as you support them and they support you, excellent training towards living someday in a marital relationship. It's the same thing for, for those of you who are older. Maybe, maybe you're older and maybe you're, you're less likely to marry at this point. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe you've never wanted to be married. Maybe you've been married and now you're a widow or a widower or your divorce has been so far away. You may have been divorced and you went, you know what? <laughs> Sorry about that, Lord, but it's a done deal and I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> God still has lessons that he can teach us about loving, faith-filled, committed relationships that may not are based upon marriage, but we can still learn those, those, those relationships. We can still learn that outside of the marriage bond. Are you divorced? Don't be afraid to call that failure. Don't be afraid to, to see that as being part of your shame and then measure it by the standard of which God's own faithfulness has been granted unto you. For in such a same way, God continues to love you. And God will love you in places where you have failed in your love for others and where others have failed to love you properly as well. And God will continue to love you and he will love you perfectly. Where others have failed you, he will never, ever fail you. He's never going to walk out on that relationship. And he's going to do everything in his power to make sure you have no reason to walk out on him. After all, the Bible... The Bible really is one huge story about marriage. Israel, an unfaithful bride, lusting after the gods of other nations, Yahweh, an everlasting, faithful, covenantal promise keeper, 
To understand the sixth commandment, we must set it into a larger context. We must hear it as part of the larger biblical story. You shall not commit adultery. It sounds like a really simple command, but if you put it into the biblical story, into the larger story, and place it within the the whole of the narrative from Genesis to Revelation, you cannot miss this hidden promise buried within each and every one of these stories. You shall not commit adultery, but you will be faithful. That's a promise, a promise from the faith-filled God, the one who never ever fails to keep his covenant, who is at work in us at every moment of every place in our history, whether it's a good time or a bad time, whether we're succeeding or whether we're failing, God has kept every one of his promises and he is currently making us into what we're not already, which is faith-filled. To be like him. And at the very end of the story, at the completion of God's work, we behold a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem prepared as a bride dressed for her husband coming down out of heaven. And now hear the voice of God saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Our task in the meantime is simply live your life. If you're married, Let your marriage reflect the fullness and the faithfulness of Christ and his bride, trusting in the promise buried in the commandments, spelled out in the stories of Scripture. The promise that God who keeps his covenant will make of us what we are currently not, but we will be. And we will not fail to prepare for the wedding banquet, the feast of eternal life that God has prepared for his beloved, for his church, for you. In Jesus' name, amen.